The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Media. Hello and welcome to Cool People Did Cool Stuff, your weekly podcast about cool people who did cool things. Uh, not to be mistaken with our evil nemesis podcast, Cool People Did Cool Things, which is about cool people who did cool stuff. That all makes sense and is totally a bit that I'm totally going to keep. I'm Margaret Kiljoy and I'm the host. And my guest is Kaveh Hoda. Hi, I'm back. I'm back. I know. Thank you for having me back. Uh, I missed you in these two days that separate the recordings. I I can't believe you actually made me wait. I know. In that room. I locked that was the so door. so weird. Yeah. <laughs> really uncomfortable. But listen, I'm here to, I'm just so excited to be here. I'm not going to complain. This is yeah. great. Yeah. I told him that he's allowed to leave the room once we finish recording. <laughs> I hope it never ends. Yeah. That's right. And also here is Sophie. Hi, Sophie. Not a doctor. But you are the audience's doctor. Aren't we going to take turns each episode to be the doctor? Yeah. What medical advice would you like to provide free of charge to our listeners? Even if you're not leaving the house that day, you should still wear sunscreen. Ooh, that's like skincare advice. Yeah, that's not not bad. Thank you. Just in in case, you mean like in case you leave or in case like the UV lights like penetrate your house. I mean, all of the above, preferably a mineral sunscreen. Yeah. I will say, mm-hmm. Sophie is someone who uh, taking skincare advice from makes sense. It does. You have, I don't know how to say this without sounding like a that's, serial killer. That's what I was just thinking. Yep. Uh-huh. Got good <laughs> skin. Just, Got good yeah. skin. I, I, yeah. I will say it is something that I uh, take care of. Yeah. yeah. Like a it's really, it's really... Really, I have like a whole cabinet that's just skincare. Yeah. I figured out how to control it and I was like, oh, this is good for me. It's good, strong work. Strong work. Mm-hmm. It took me a long time to actually get into skincare mm-hmm. and I'm a little bit sad that I waited so long, but it's it's been working. Yeah. 
Wear sunscreen. This podcast was edited by... Oh, right. Ian. Nope. What? Oh, we already did this. Daniel. Daniel. <laughs> Daniel. This is still so new. We're totally keeping We're totally keeping that in. Hi, Ian and Daniel. <laughs> hi, Ian and Daniel. Everyone say hi at least to Daniel, because Daniel's the one Daniel. I love you, okay, Daniel. Okay, and then everyone listening at home, you have to stop saying hi, Ian, and you have to start saying hi, Daniel. Otherwise, Daniel will know. He does. It's wild. Also, if you didn't, if you didn't listen to our Q and A, they just switched around shows. They're both, they're oh, both yeah. still, they're both still um, our best boys. Don't worry. Yeah, they're both doing fine. <laughs> our theme music was still written for us by Unwoman, and this is part two in a two-parter about some really. I feel like this is like such a, a distilled cool people who did cool stuff episode where it's just it's just some people who did really cool stuff. Yeah. Do you almost feel bad about the fact that's so good? Like that they're so cool? Yeah. I mean, like I'm like, there's got to be something terrible under the, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. like everyone has. But no, I'm, I'm mostly just excited. I'm. It's such a. Why? Well, I'll just tell you the story and then you can also be excited about it. And if for anyone who's listening, you should go back and listen to part one because otherwise you have no context. And what yeah. will you do without context? It'll be like you're in school all again, but yeah. bad. Don't be weird. Listen to the, the first, first episode, then come back. Don't, don't be that person. Yeah, absolutely. So, Pittsburgh, 1960s. Mm. Emergency medical services were not so great. It was uh, mostly cops in the city proper and then it would be like funeral homes in different areas because they have the hearses and there would be firefighters in other areas but like mostly cops who are not famously good at sanctity of life right even the people that they like kind of should ostensibly care about mm-hmm. like the rich white guy we're about to talk about who they totally fucking murder through medical neglect <sighs> That wasn't, well, I just, uh, I'll just tell you what happened. (laughs) There was this big deal Democrat guy in Pittsburgh. His name is David Lawrence. And he had previously been both the mayor of Pittsburgh and the governor of Pennsylvania at one point or another. Uh, Most history remembers David Lawrence very kindly. In 1993, he was ranked third in the top 10 mayors in American history. He was a a working class Irish Catholic guy who fought in World War I. He lived in Pittsburgh during the peak of the anti-Catholic era of the Klan so I should like him, but I don't. He was the guy who engineered the Renaissance, that urban renewal that just like fucked over all the black people who lived in the hill. Mm. So whatever. Anyway, it's the late 1960s. He's not in charge of anything anymore. He's just influential. And he is going to go and give this great big speech at a Democrat guy politic thing about why Democrats rule and Republicans drool. But instead, he decided to have a heart attack on stage. Hmm. Funny choice. I know. It was a bold choice. It didn't work out for his, the candidate he was trying to endorse. Actually, that guy loses. But I don't think we can put that on David Lawrence. <laughs> a nurse from the audience uh, ran to the stage and started giving him CPR. The the you stand-in character, uh, Kabe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As you discussed that you like when... Well, you I don't do. like when people have heart attacks, but you, I like mean, when yeah. you, you get to be useful. Want, yeah, I don't want people to be sick. I just want to be of use. Yeah. Yeah. And so a nurse runs up and starts giving CPR and then the ambulance arrives. And at the time, ambulance, and in this case, meant cops. So the cops arrived, shoved the nurse out of the way. And she's like, "Uh, (laughs) I need to keep doing emergency breathing. And they're like, nah. And then they're like running him off to the cop car. They're using arrest vans, what I called paddy wagons. And then someone Mm -hmm. got really mad at me. 
and they're like shoving the nurse out of the way. She's like following, trying to give emergency breathing because like he's not breathing, you know? And they're like shooing her off and shit. And they throw her in the back. They throw him in the back of the cop car and they drive off and, um, and no one rides in the back with him whenever they do this. So they just like careen through the streets with this. My God. Person who's unconscious. Not breathing. Yeah, just flopping around loose in the back. Um, so it's not <laughs> good for him. And, no, um, that's not great patient care, I can tell you. Yeah, and that was actually the norm. That was actually the norm that no one rode in the... When the cops took you, no one rode in the back with you. Um, How terrifying but, that those are your two options. You either have the cops no. throwing you into the back of one of those arrest vans, or you got picked up in a hearse. I know. <laughs> Where there's like literally still flowers in there. Yeah. It's the worst. Yeah. Like I, I, at that point I might be like, leave me to die on my kitchen floor. Yeah. You know, like if you think you're just going to die anyway. Yeah. And so this guy, it turns out, I don't know if you knew this big medical revelation. Your brain actually needs oxygen. (laughs) Mm. Oh, big if true. Yeah. His brain didn't get any because there was no one doing emergency breathing. Because the one person that was trying to, they, yeah. they wouldn't, yeah. Right. Happened to be a woman, happened to not be a cop, like right. had all kinds of things going against her. Yeah. And when the, the cops take him to hospital, it's literally Peter Saffer at the hospital door there to receive him. Because they get they get a call and they're like, oh, fuck, yeah. this is a big, important like thing. And the doctors managed to restart his heart, but there's no brain activity because he had gone too long without oxygen. For 17 days, he was medically al- there's two words here. One of them was alive and one of them was dead. He was like medically alive, but biologically dead or the other way around or something. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like he wasn't having any brain activity. So. Yeah. And eventually his family removed him from life support and he died more completely. And this was a big deal. And Peter Saffer had been looking for ways to improve emergency medical services, but there hadn't been the political will for it. Also, mm-hmm. even though he's like the father of CPR, everywhere he goes, people kind of don't like him. And for a long time, eventually he has enough clout that he gets away with stuff. But like in Baltimore, when he first shows up, people are like, you're just that weird guy with an accent, you know, like, and you want to do things not the right way. We don't really like you very much. Mm. That seems like a common story in medicine. I think, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. So when Mr. Democrat dies, they literally called David Lawrence Mr. Democrat. That's how important he was to the political machine Mm. in, in Pittsburgh. He dies and suddenly there's political will to improve emergency medical care because it it gets out. No one's blaming the cops, but it gets out that had actual proper medical care been provided, he would have survived most likely. Yeah. So people are like, all right, we can have ambulances that aren't shitty. And Saffer got together with a nonprofit, the Falk Medical Fund, which got together with Freedom House, the people who were driving around and, you know, selling groceries and giving job training and stuff, right? And the plan wasn't just put doctors on ambulances. It was to put paramedics on ambulances, which is this entirely new word. I don't think they invented it for this context, but it was like a new word that had been floating around as a concept. Mm. And he wanted to prove that you could train regular folks into the job, not quickly and easily, but reliably. Freedom House was like, we will do it on one condition. And the ordinary people who are going to get trained to serve the black community are going to be black people from the black community. And Peter Saffer was like, 
that is literally not a problem. I fucking survived Nazi occupation. There's, mm-hmm. there's no part of me that's excited about racism. That's fine. Yeah. Later, a bunch of people were really into the racism thing. Fuck the whole <laughs> thing up. But that's a while later. Yeah, that checks out. So I'm sorry. What was Freedom House at this point? What were they, remind me, like what were they doing? Or So they were a job training center for black people looking to learn how to start their own businesses, like doing like landscaping and stuff. And they were also doing the um, grocery, not delivery. It wasn't like a mutual aid project. It was a, a break the food desert thing where they right. drive in right. and drive in the groceries. van. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so they were basically like a method of empowerment to the neighborhood that ended up being like the most appropriate rough infrastructure to build out of, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so all the first paramedics in the first class were men because of sexism. And all the phone operators were, and this will shock you to hear, women. Whoa. Yeah. Thank you, history. Um, At least later, one of the phone operators ends up a paramedic, which is cool. And so when they decide to get all these people together to do this thing, the nonprofit world, the, you know, Freedom House uh, and Saffer, some cops come to the first meetings. They're like, well, we're the, we're the ambulance drivers. We should be part of it, you know? And then the cops were like, wait, hold on. We get paid to do ambulance ride of death routine. We don't want black people fucking it up. So they were out mm-hmm. and they, they left the coalition immediately, which is for the best. I don't give a shit. But like they would have made, I mean, it, they would have at least made money, right? They may have made a little bit less because someone else is doing it, but weren't they still going to be, couldn't they still be involved if they wanted to and still be able to make money off it? Probably. They probably could have figured out a way to do that. Yeah. Saffer was like, I can teach a class of 44 students. And they were like, okay, we need 44 people willing to take 300 hours of job training for a job that has never existed in history. That was hard to find people who were willing to do that. So the first class of 44 students was, a lot of them were literally kind of off the streets. Like they'd go around and basically be practically rounded up and dragged off to go learn. Wow. They were aged 18 to 60. They were high school dropouts. They were Vietnam vets on drugs. They were itinerant workers. They were felons with records that kept them out of most work. They were people who were having a hard go of it themselves. One of the recruiters who ended up also being one of the paramedics who worked at Freedom House, he actually ran an ambulance service, a private ambulance service prior to that just because the neighborhood needed it. But it was the old school of style of ambulance service, like call us, we'll drive you to the hospital, you know? And they start a 300... At this point, cops have like 10 hours of medical training if they're on the ambulance duty, which is a lot. You know, I mean, that's probably roughly what you had to do is about 10 hours or something like that. Yeah, total. Yeah. Or years. Was it years or hours? Like decades, it feels. But yeah, 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 it's probably a little bit more. Yeah. So more than 10 hours. And the paramedics, of course, are not trained to become doctors, but they're training to become a new thing. Uh, It is between EMT, emergency medical technician and doctor to be able to provide the kinds of life-saving support that are necessary on the street rather than immediately taking people to hospitals. It was a, a grueling schedule for everyone, the, the teachers and the students alike. Days, nights, and weekends. They learned far more than any civilian ambulance team in probably history. Yeah. Everyone without a high school degree was like coached through GED programs on the side during all of this. Well, so cool, man. Yeah. They're like... It is so cool what they did. And it, it really proves the point about giving people 
chance to do good things and save lives. And, you yeah. know, and people are taking advantage of it. It's just so cool. Yeah. Only 24 of the 44 of them made it through the classroom portion of the training, uh, just because it was a incredibly grueling classroom thing, you know? And then they, after that, they did rotations. They did rotations at morgues and helped with dissections. Um, they showed up in operating rooms. They showed up in emergency rooms. They would like, they had problems where they wanted to show up and like help deliver babies. They faced racism everywhere they went. Doctors would assume they were orderlies and like hand them mops as soon as they walked into the room. And right. a lot of places they were just literally shut out of, yeah. even though they were yeah. with one of the most important doctors in the city, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, if you, you talk to like black doctors now, you'll still hear everyone has like a story where they walk in and they're like, okay, you can take my tray. I'm done with it. And they're like, no, <laughs> God. I'm not, I'm not here for the tray. I wish that surprised me in any way. Yeah. And actually some of them started off as orderlies. There's one, oh, I didn't write down his name. Unfortunately, there was one guy who, um, later he sticks with this for decades and becomes a paramedic and, and stuff like that. He actually started off as an orderly and he saw these first paramedics come in. He saw black men come in and take charge of a situation and like be treated with respect. And he was like, I don't even know what that job is, but that's going to be my job now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so they finished, they finished their 300 hour training and they were, they went down to Baltimore to do ambulance rides to do, to like start doing it because Saffer had more connections with fire departments in Baltimore than he did with police in Pittsburgh, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But before they could go on these first ambulance rides, and the, so the first paramedics in history weren't in Baltimore because some asshole went and killed Martin Luther King Jr. Mm. And Pittsburgh, among other places, revolted. And so the first time a paramedic team in history did medical work was in black neighborhoods during the riots after Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. Hmm. And they didn't have their ambulances yet, so they were in borrowed cop vans because the city was on, we'll talk about the relationship with the city. It wasn't great, but it, it did exist. You know, hmm. They used borrowed cop vans, and so they had to keep the inside lights on so that people could see that they were black paramedics and not cops. Hmm. And mm -hmm. I don't know. I think that rules that that is the birth of the paramedic profession. Yeah. That is so cool. That is yeah. so cool. I'm, it, it's crazy that we don't, it, I mean, some of this sounds mm -hmm. so ripe for like a movie. Like I'm surprised no one made a movie of this yeah. yet. I know there's like a, there's a short documentary. It's not even a feature length documentary, but yeah, no, I would watch the shit out of the movie version of this. It even has, it has all of the notes. We're yeah. going to get to it. There's even yeah. a token white paramedic who is literally there as a token white paramedic. So you still, yeah. yeah. But you know what else is good and entertaining? And created within the confines of a capitalist system, because the movie. I, I can guess. I know. I can guess. It's a. It's ads. It's ads. It is. It is ads. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, pretty smart. Yeah, you're pretty good at this. This isn't your first yep. rodeo. Nope. 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 Here. Here they are. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, 
we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. So, Freedom House, which is still the name it is operating under, is up and running. And they had an ambulance service, and it was uh, by July 1968. Whenever someone called emergency services, if it was a medical call for the Hill, Oakland, or downtown, three different neighborhoods. Not Oakland in the Bay, but in Right, Oakland, always confuses in, me, but yeah. yeah. The call was routed to Freedom House. And they'd send out an ambulance with actual paramedics. In their first year, they responded to 6,000 calls and saved at least 200 lives directly. Wow. it's good. Yeah. Strong. Yeah. There's like 35 of, well, it starts off with 24. Soon enough, there's 35 of them. The new classes are immediately cycling in, you know? But it's like not a huge operation. The financing for the whole thing was really scant. They managed loans from a bunch of foundations and government shit And soon they had a second class in paramedic school. By 1969, they had actual ambulances that were purpose-built that they, like, designed. The first ambulances that look like today's ambulances have a dedicated space in back and a place for a medic to sit at the head of the patient. And to to quote Kevin Hazard, who wrote that book, American Sirens, quote, A two-ton Chevy G20 van, the kind of thing the ice cream man might drive. The top was painted white and bristled with light sirens and a long whip antenna. The sides were orange with a large blue star plastered on its sliding door. The words Freedom House jumped out in large block letters. And they took a lot of pride in their uniforms. They had like really sharp uniforms. They'd like walk around with pride through the neighborhood. And people, people joined just to become part of something like that. Yeah. No, I could see that. It's really inspiring. Yeah. I know. It's, it would be such an easy feel-good movie. God, like, it really would. I mean, I could already, we can start casting yeah. But like they have all, you have all the bits, they have all the right bits. Yeah. I mean, 
I think I think part of the problem is Hollywood had this brief run where it was like they did some really interesting kind of ideas, like the first like all uh, black like airplane squad, and then like the first uh, basketball team, and then the first like swimming thing. And at some point, Hollywood was like, okay, we got to move on from this. Yeah, yeah, but totally. Like, but I'm like, this is a good one. This, this is like an important one. Why why not do this one? If you're going to do, do do some more. I know. And it's like, it's not even the first black paramedics. It's the first paramedics. Yeah, right. Like you could do a movie about the first white paramedics. They come later. Right. You know? Like, yeah. I'm sure they did. I'm sure that's been done. Yeah, no, I'm sure. They charge $25 for their services, which is about $200 in today's money, which is a lot of money. But given the cost of everything, I mean, I don't know. The Probably the average ambulance ride in the U.S. is currently $1,000. Yeah. So five times as much as what they were charging. Yeah. And the $25 wasn't enough to keep the lights on. They needed funding from the city and shit, which makes sense. And they got some funding. Yeah. And that's what taxes should use for instead of like genocide overseas. That's my controversial mm. take. Hippie. Yeah. <laughs> and also primarily they're serving the hill. And so a lot of people just aren't paying their bill, which is completely fair. They don't have enough money to, they shouldn't have to, but in order to keep funding from the city and in order to get to like qualify for like specific loan thing that happened at one point, they needed to hire a white person. They needed Mm. one diversity hire. Yeah. And so they hired one white guy who freaked out about being the only white guy. And he left, didn't even come to his second shift. Oh, come on, guy. I know. Then they found this like working class kid who had been the token white guy in his unit in Vietnam. And he was like, I'm happy to reprise the role. I don't give a shit. Yeah. And he stuck it out to the very end. Right on. Right on. He would be the unfortunately main character in the Hollywood version of this. Um, (laughs) But he probably didn't want to be the main character because he was a decent fucker anyway. Timothy Chalamet has got that one on lock here. I uh, I am essentially blind to names of actors and don't do not know. She definitely has no idea who that is. No, I know like three, and I use them uh, a As lot, the, so I seem yeah. like I'm hipper and know things. But uh, why I, is I, I that don't. one of the three? That's Wait, who my is question. He? What's he in? I, he's in Dune, and I like Dune. Oh. Is he like the main guy in Dune? Yeah, he's Moadib. Wait, the guy who is also in Star Wars? No, no, no. He's in no, no, no. He's the guy that's in the new. Uh, unnecessary Wonka movie. Oh, yeah, no, that would be, yeah. You're thinking Oscar Isaacs, who was in the new Star Wars movies and in Dune. He played Duke Atreides. Yeah. Okay. I'll take your word for it. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while since I've seen Dune, even though the litany against fear is like literally a mantra I use on a regular basis. That's a great line. Yeah. Okay. So they got the white guy. And they're like, it's cool, because then they're like, oh, that's good. And they don't like move to suddenly being, you know, they're like, well, this is, for a black community. So we're going to stick the way we have it. You know, by 1972, there's 35 paramedics fielding 7,000 calls a year. And the idea starts spreading like all across the country. National standards associations and shit start coming together with totally memorable names like the National Registry of Emergency Medical Technicians. The Freedom House folks start inventing like new stretchers and shit that can go around corners. And I didn't see any diagrams, so I don't really understand them. Mm-hmm. Paramedics from Freedom House went all over the country into Germany to teach their methods because it's not just medical. I mean, it is medical methods, but it's also like, how do you run paramedics? You know? Yeah. Because they are the world's experts in it. And like Safar, 
absolutely did a ton and he came up with the initial thing. But these are the people who actually did it. Yeah, implemented it and yeah, were doing it. And actually uh, yeah. learned how to do it. Yeah. And they were calling it paramedics at the time. Yes. That term they're using now. Yeah. Wow. And because Freedom House and Peter Saffer invented half the cool shit ever, Saffer and the paramedics started using Narcan to reverse heroin overdoses. Right on. It had been previously done to reverse anesthesia. It's possible that other people... I am not 100% certain whether Peter Saffer was the first person to start using Narcan to reverse uh, overdoses. But Freedom House was absolutely the first organization to start doing that on the street. Yeah, very cool. Very here, very now. Still very important. If you had asked me, I would have thought Narcan was 15 years old. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm, I know my friend Ryan Marino is going to give me a hard time for this, um, but I thought it was at least 15, 10. I didn't think more than that. Jeez. Yeah. I thought it couldn't be older than um, like Oxycontin, like the the opioid crisis starting in the right, early right. aughts. You know? Couldn't be older than me because I'm so young. Yeah. <laughs> Don't laugh. And because these guys were so obviously not cops when they would show up to overdose calls mm-hmm. and they were from the neighborhood. And they didn't rat anyone out for anything. Like they just really weren't cops. They could do things like go to the overdose victim's dealer and find out exactly what the person was on so that they could treat that and also provide like other, you know, provide the hospital with like, this is what this person is on. Uh, That's so, so, so cool. So interesting. Yeah. I just got really excited about all that part because I'm just like, God, that's, that's what a lot of the conversation around emergency response stuff is now is like, don't send cops. We have someone ODing. Send an ambulance, you know? Yeah, right. Exactly. So the result of all of this, patients in black neighborhoods in Pittsburgh ended up with far, far better chances of surviving accidents, heart attacks, gunshots, overdoses, all of it, than people in white neighborhoods. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's, that's, this is where I'm sure it gets fascinating because this is probably where they're like, okay, what, are, what do they have there? We must live there. Let's buy that area. The hill's <laughs> now ours. <laughs> they kind of do sort of the opposite. They don't go into the hill. Instead, they're like, how do we steal their thing? We're like, we want the ambulance, but we don't want the ambulance driver. You know, we, we, right. don't want, we want the thing that black people invented, but we don't want the black people. How do we do this? But mm, how do we say it? Make them more, I don't know, American colored. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. That is almost exactly what ends up bringing down Freedom House. But before that, 1972, some like doctors at the hospital started auditing how different ambulance crews, including the cops, were treating different people, right? In 1972, doctors found that paramedics provided the right care 89% of the time as compared with cops who provided the wrong care 62% of the time. God, I'm surprised it wasn't higher. I know. So enemy of all things noble and good, the police union starts getting really mad because they're like, well, we don't want new training. We don't need new training. All over the country, paramedics are like starting to become a thing. But the Pittsburgh cops are like, no, we can't do that. They're not going to let some uppity paramedics change how they've been doing things. Uh uh And enter the main villain of the story. The cops weren't the only folks who didn't like Freedom House. There was this new mayor, Peter Flaherty. He was elected in 1970. He was not one of the best things ever produced by the Irish diaspora. 
<laughs> he was a populist Democrat who refused to align himself strongly with the Democratic Party, which sounds fine. He hated labor unions, which is less fine. He claimed he hated public-slash-private partnerships, which it seems all right on its surface, right? Because he's like, well, all public infrastructure should be run by the government, is what he's saying. Mm-hmm. He is notably only saying this about Freedom House. Yeah, right. Immediately after he takes office, he fires 2,000 public employees, and then he turns his ire on an ambulance service that's saving everyone's lives. The important things, getting, getting to the important stuff right yeah. away. yeah. All over the country, Freedom House, like, Freedom House is changing everything. Everything about emergency medicine. 24 states at this point had instituted better minimum EMS standards. Miami started a paramedic class as soon as Freedom House got going. They were like, holy shit, that's amazing. But back at home in Pittsburgh, it was hated by the city government. Peter Flaherty was what you call a racist. Oh, yeah, he, heard of them. And it's funny because it's like, all the like journalism takes are like, he was often called a racist, you know, because you have to <laughs> hedge your bets. What is being called a healthcare crisis by some in Gaza? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he opposed desegregating city buses. And folks involved in the struggle around Freedom House were pretty blunt that the main reason that Flaherty opposed Freedom House is because he was an overt racist. Mm-hmm. So he at the very least did racist things, but it seems very likely that he was literally yeah. overtly like just an anti-black person. Racist. Um, And he had actually kind of started off not that way because he was a Democrat and he was like playing to the base and all that shit. And he just like shift, he just went further and further right once he Mm -hmm. got in office. Weird. Again, the past. I know. I know, totally. Uh, I don't live in West Virginia with Manchin as my, um, anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Fetterman. So, oh God. He's even Pennsylvania too, isn't he? I think so. I'm not a, I know them slightly better than I know actors, but not a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so he cuts Freedom House's city budget in half. They were getting $100,000 a year, which was not enough. And he gives starts giving them $50,000 a year. And he also says they have to provide just as much service. And if they somehow don't, anywhere they don't provide service, the cops will take over again. Hmm. So Freedom House starts fundraising everywhere they can. But a lot of grants, most of the grants, and there were a ton of grants going around for black businesses and stuff around at this time, required cities to match the funds. And so the city wouldn't do it. So they got passed over for all these grants, even though they are like setting the standard nationwide and worldwide. Because Flaherty was like, Freedom House has to be financially self-sufficient, even though he didn't ask that of anyone else. Right. He was such a libertarian. In 1974, he won the Democratic primary. He was already, he was the incumbent. He also won the Republican primary as a write-in candidate (laughs) and the Constitutional Party primary. I don't know what the Constitutional Party is, but I don't like it. Yeah. I just don't like it. Yeah. Um, I used to know more about them and now they're all blurred together in my head. Yeah. Bad. Yeah. Even though he was giving $19 million a year to the cops and he was giving $100,000 a year to the dog catchers, the dog catchers got twice as much money as the ambulances. Oh my God. Now I love dogs. Yeah. But no. I love dogs and I love catching them. But yeah. um, this, this is, um, this is that's, such a, that's such an amazing juxtaposition. Yeah. And- Paramedics made like nine grand a year and cops made like 14 grand a year. Uh, it should be about 
eight times that in modern money. <laughs> and the ambulances were way cheaper to make than the cop cars because they were like purpose built mm. and not full of people taking extra money off of shit. So mm. financing the whole thing for the whole city, if they had just been like Freedom House or even other paramedics built on the Freedom House model who aren't cops, like it would have been so much cheaper for the city. Yeah. But it was a, it was an ethical thing for him. He hated whatever, he's a piece of shit. Do, do you get any sense of whether or not there was public support for this at the time? Were people like upset about it or did people not even notice? Was it flying under the radar? Like- oh, it was a big deal. Yeah. People started making it a big deal because the other neighborhoods, including wealthier neighborhoods, were like, can Freedom House please come here? I like not dying. I'm a really yeah. big fan of not dying. Like yeah. being alive rules and cops suck at that particular thing, you know? Yeah. But the funeral home industry and other private ambulance services started fighting back against Freedom House too. Cause that was like, they treated more of like the suburbs and the surrounding areas, you know? Yeah. And so basically everyone running the ambulance services was like, no, fuck you. The private ones, you know, or the not Freedom House ones. But yeah, and we'll talk more about the, the activists who defended Freedom House in a little bit. So the mayor was like, all right, what can we do? Cutting their budget in half didn't destroy Freedom House. How do I destroy Freedom House? Because he's a fucking villain. Um, he's very highly remembered and his, his Wikipedia page is very, uh, he balanced the budget and he blah, 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 blah. He banned ambulances from using sirens in downtown. So they would like, you know, race to go save people when they're in the hill. And then as soon as they cross into downtown, they have to turn it off and they're allowed to like honk, you know? <laughs> um and because they, it was a noise ordinance, it didn't want to be disruptive to the business community. Yeah, yeah, uh, I've heard cops of that. are allowed to use sirens. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that happening still. Actually, oh I my wonder, god, wonder, really? I mean, I don't know if it's common, yeah. at all, but I've, I have heard of that. Um, that is amazing. That is amazing. I'm sure, like, there are like uh, building people, like behind real estate developers, that sort of thing, who push for that sort of thing. Yeah, and then he also ran into racist patients as a big problem. And this was actually part of, because they started expanding to a few more areas. I, I read a couple different things exactly about this, but they started going to a few more places because people, neighborhood councils would be like, we really want them to come here. But individual rich white racists would be like, we, I, what are you talking about? You can't treat me. That yeah. man is black. You know, um, I want an actual doctor, not this black man. And so, and especially in downtown, right? You have all this white flight from the cities, but people still come into the town to work. And so when they're working downtown, a lot of their patients are white. And so they just had to literally run around all day and save the lives of racists who would physically recoil from their presence. Wow, what a bummer. Yeah. I mean, again, like you talk to African-American doctors, Jewish doctors, lots of doctors of color. They all have some story still Mm -hmm. of, you know, treating some patient with a swastika or something like that. That's very, very common, but this is, um, you know, this was just the, the, the bad old days of it. Um, yeah. where it was even worse, not great still, yeah. but even worse, just so hard to do your job <laughs> and to be like, and to have a tough, it's a tough gig yeah. and to have that on top of it is truly heroic efforts to, to help those people. It really is. And on top of it all all these rumors started spreading around that they like sold drugs and ran dice games and shit like that. Um, And I don't believe there's any basis to these particular rumors. 
that's certainly no evidence was provided to back this up that I've ever found. Right. Cops started trying to beat them to calls in order to get the money mm. from having, you know, thrown someone in yeah. the back of the, the wagon and driven them off or whatever. Yeah. And so when paramedics would show up and the cops were already there, they would like threaten to arrest the paramedics if they tried to treat patients. My God. Then. So funny. Yeah. In 1974, the mayor did a 180. He suddenly loved ambulances. Maybe they should be city financed after all. As long as it's not Freedom House and it's cops. <laughs> oh, God. So close. Yeah. So the city canceled <laughs> its contract with Freedom House and set up a cop-run paramedic organization. Oh. This is when the activist groups were like, are you fucking kidding me? And... The activist groups were like, we want to be interrupted in the middle of like sentences with to be sold things. They were like, that's what we demand. We demand that in the <laughs> middle of sentences, someone comes in and says, haven't you tried listening to this podcast or getting mental health services through the following product? Because exact same thing. Here's exact same thing. Yeah, here's the ads. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So activist groups, both white and black, fought hard against 
what was happening, which was the destruction of Freedom House and the empowerment of the police. The NAACP, various neighborhood associations, women organizations, a bunch of different Catholic organizations, youth organizations, even conservative papers were running opinion pieces that were like, we already have a good ambulance service. What are you doing? You know, because it was so transparently about race. Yeah. And that's why they kept being the like, no, it's that I hate private public stuff or whatever, you know. But these activists might have changed the face of modern emergency response across the U.S. Because they won. Cool. And the racist in charge of the city relented and funded Freedom House for two more years. Uh, he's, he was like, fine, 1974, 1975, you're getting funded again. Hmm. Still at the like shitty rate. Mm-hmm. But they stopped the cops from being the paramedics. And that rules. Hmm. And that has like reverberating effects throughout history that have saved so many people's lives. Because even, even if cops were fully trained as paramedics, you still just run into the conflict of interest about law enforcement and, you know. Absolutely. Like... For for fentanyl overdoses, the last thing I mean, it's yeah. th- that's a whole I'm you sure just subject never in of itself. Yeah. Never call them. Yeah. I mean, what would happen is one of them would touch like a baggie, have a panic attack, <laughs> totally, and then they would add to the sentence of whatever guy that yeah. they arrested because they would be like, "Well, this person all, almost killed a cop." Yeah. We had to use four Narcans to revive him, which, by the way, isn't how Narcan would work. Right. But like. It's, it, it would be terrible. The concept, it gives me chills, literal chills to think of cops running codes. Yeah. Get, also, can we talk about the fact that like people accept the idea that cops are somehow wildly allergic to fentanyl where if they're in the same room as it, they all die? Because like, it is. I don't do drugs. A lot of my friends do drugs. Some of my friends do fentanyl on purpose, which I think is not a good idea, but mm-hmm. The only way they die of it is if they OD on it, like not by touching it. Correct. Or being in visual contact with it. Yeah. Fentanyl, great in the hospital. I don't love its use elsewhere, but I have to let you in on a secret. I also understand this process because as a doctor, not everyone knows this, but um, an apple will destroy me. And for cops, um, fentanyl is their apple. An apple will keep your doctor away. Fentanyl <laughs> is the same thing for a cop. I was okay? like, I think I know where you're going. <laughs> I was wondering if that was going to work. I was just, I was no, waiting no, for it. No, no, it worked. But I, I was okay, like, good. okay, you are specifically allergic to apples. And I was like, oh, no, wait, yeah. I, I, I realized I had to make that clear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My bad. My bad. No, no, Sorry, no, joke. it's okay. I'm going to start, I dehydrate apples and give them to people way too often. And I'm just going to start calling them app, uh, Dr. Bane. Doctor, yeah. Um, Dr. Bane. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it. The fact that people believe, I mean, the fact that people believe cops like full stop is like complicated, but the fact that people believe all of these weird cop lies about fentanyl is just so, I don't understand why we as a society accept the way that cops talk about fentanyl, even though again, I love being sober, you know, but whatever. Yeah. So the activists save Freedom House. And I mean, Freedom House also saves itself. They're part of this process, you know, and- They continue. They're underfunded as hell. And they're honestly starting to fall apart from the inside from their underfundingness at this point. Mm. Their organization is starting to collapse. Their ambulances barely run, like physically, you know, mechanically. Mm -hmm. 
And then they always had this doc. They would have like one doctor who's like their chief medical director. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, a doctor as compared to being everyone else's paramedics. And this person, I think, was always white. It was never mentioned otherwise. And I'm not 100% sure, but I think it was always a he. And then in 1974, they got a white Jewish woman named Nancy Caroline who basically slept at the office and helped organize the place and bring things back together and improve the le- level of medical training even higher. One of the big hmm. like things that they didn't do, they did all of these different things. They would interpret EKGs. They would do all these like fairly high-level things. They didn't intubate patients on the street. And under Nancy Caroline's training, they learned how to do that. Wow. Were they the first people to do that? Yes. They were the first people to intubate people on the street. That's so rad. Yeah. And I think they were like the first people to like use shock paddles and go clear and shit and like save people's lives that way or whatever. But in the, on the street. On the street. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. And that's what I was saying was like shit that. Even I've heard of like uh, intubating and Narcan and yeah. I call them shock paddles because I don't know what they're called. Yeah. Defibrillators, but yeah, that's sho- I'll call them shock paddles. I'll, I'll accept. All right, cool. Thanks. So under under her training, they're now intubating patients in the street, uh, which is hard as fuck. And if you do it wrong, people die, but can be a very important life-saving thing. There's this like moment where they bring in an intubated patient and they're like, Matt, the doctor's like, who the fuck intubated this patient? And the guy's just like, yeah, I did. I'm a paramedic. And they were like, oh, okay. You know? Wow. Yeah, that must have been mind blowing at the time. Yeah, absolutely. And Nancy was also frustrated by this other thing that was defeating the organization that she worked with, the cops. And somehow she got a hold of a police scanner. History does not (laughs) indicate how she got a hold of this police scanner, which means it was not legal. That's right. Yeah. Um, I assume either she stole it or someone working with the cops stole it and gave it to her. And so Freedom House started listening in the police scanner and beating cops to medical emergencies to save people's <laughs> lives. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Because the cops are already doing that to them. Yeah. But now yeah, they can totally. do it in reverse. And they would like tell stories about being like, oh, I, don't know, I just was in the neighborhood and happened to drive by and saw this person, right. you know? Right. That's so cool. For the third time today. I'm sure they got there faster because they probably cared more to get there faster. Yeah, I'm absolutely. sure that was a big part of it. Yeah. yeah. And so she, she actually ends up writing the book on street medicine and emergency medical services. And Freedom House at this point becomes the official model chosen by the Department of Transportation about what EMS should be in the country. And so this is like they have cemented their legacy at this point, not necessarily by name and not necessarily by memory, but in terms of the way that they've learned how to do things over these seven years. Yeah. But the mayor, instead of being like, okay, I give up, I'll listen to the federal government and realize that Freedom House rules, he spent the last two years, when he gave them the like the stay of execution for two years, he basically just spent the time figuring out how to copy it, expand on the model with better funding, and then shut down Freedom House and replace it with white paramedics. Mm-hmm. Which is what he did. The upside, the thing that they won, is that it wasn't cops. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Huge. In today's world, we look at like evidence-based medicine. That's sort of our mantra for everything. Mm-hmm. We try to to have make sure there's evidence for everything. So I have to think if that's the case, there's no way that it would have held up. But the fact that it might have taken an extra 15, 20, 30 years yeah. 
to maybe get the police out and how many people would have been killed in that process yeah is is really startling yeah yeah there's just like an objective body count to doing better emergency medical services you know yeah like yeah absolutely so these white paramedics who are going to take over, basically it's like they're like, all right, we're starting up this new city program. Freedom House has a few more months to go. And so the f- white paramedics did their training rides on Freedom House ambulances, but the black paramedics weren't told that they were training the men who would replace them. They oh, thought that they were training guys from the suburbs. That's who would gross. Then- Mm-hmm. That's fucking gross. Yeah. It's the absolute fucking worst. Um, I mean, it's like g- more people having medical training. Good. That gross. Yeah. They were like, all right, this guy from the suburbs is going to go back from the suburbs where this is great. We are the teachers. We're the trainers, you know? Oh, what a bummer. The city was like, well, we need a medical director for this new program. Someone with experience. Someone white. Fortunately, Nancy Caroline met those requirements and they offered to hire her. And she was like, God, I don't fucking know about that. So she went to talk to everyone. And I think this was like functionally a democratic decision of Freedom House, but I'm not. She certainly included them in her decision making. Yeah. And she came back and she said, all right, because they knew Freedom House was done. She was like, all right, I will do it. I will be the medical director for the ambulance program if you hire everyone from Freedom House who wants it. And the city was like, no, we're good. And then she was like, okay, then I'm going to the press. And the city was like, Okay, we'll hire everyone from Freedom House. <laughs> Good for her. Yeah. On midnight, at midnight on October 15th, 1975, as it turned over to October 16th, Freedom House shut its doors. And actually the, uh, the token white guy like stayed until morning to like lock up. Um, so it's like you have the fucking movie moments everywhere. That's the symbolism. There's some symbolism there. I don't know what I know. it means, but there's like, that's a symbolic sort of like last shot. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know if you knew this. The U.S. Uh, government routinely breaks the agreements it makes with people who are racially marginalized. What? I know. I know. That was my face when I learned this. One of the one of the paramedics, one of the black paramedics, had actually been offered second in command of the new am- ambulance corps, but the city changed its mind and didn't offer it to him, and he just was a guy on an ambulance. So none of the people, none of the black people from Freedom House had any kind of standing within the new organization. Mm-hmm even though they are literally the world's first paramedics um, and they have seven years of experience. So that is so wild. Most of the freedom house people took the paramedic jobs that were offered, but they were treated like pariahs. Uh, they would like show up and people would be like, Oh, you're freedom house and would like stay away from them. Even the token white guy was treated like shit by the new staff for having been part of the quote goon squad and for having been quote white only on the outside. Yeah. So then the people who had literally invented, which is sort of a compliment. What's that? I know. I know. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's sort of a compliment. I know. know? Like I'm sort of, I'm undercover too. I'm off white. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, so I kind of get it. Yeah. I kind of, I think that'd be a cool, like it's not a bad title. No, I, I doubt he had a problem with that, you know? Yeah. So then the people who had literally invented the profession of paramedics had to be mentored by the less trained new recruits because they were new to that particular job, so they had to be mentored. And the city had promised to hire them. The city did not promise to keep them on. Mm. So the organization set about icing them out to get them to quit or finding excuses to fire them. They weren't Mm. allowed to touch patients, just observe, because they're the new kids, you know? 
They had to take classes that were beneath their level that didn't even meet the national standards, which they themselves had set. Set, yeah. And they were like given like constant pass-fail tests. And if you're like, oh, you don't get 100%, you're fired. Just tomorrow, you know? And uh, about half of them quit within the first year, including Nancy Caroline. She was like, this sucks. Fuck yeah. you. So demoralizing. And she, she left. She went to Israel to set up emergency services there. And some of the paramedics, the first paramedics in the world, ended up tow truck drivers and taxi drivers and shit. At least one ended up homeless soon enough. And Pittsburgh paramedics became an overwhelmingly white profession. Though a few of the original paramedics rose in the ranks of the new organization and became supervisors and stuff eventually. And, uh, and then the history was almost completely forgotten until now, until this episode of the podcast, I am the one who's breaking this story by having read a very best-selling book by the author <laughs> Kevin Hazard. <laughs> yeah, I will tell you this, you are breaking the story to me and I'm going to be sharing this with every medical professional um, that I have contact or range of Yeah, because it is just amazing. And it's one of the few ones where I feel like it's still not too late to give the right people their credit totally or flowers as kids call it um like i feel like that like there i mean unfortunately some of them have probably passed away and probably some of them will never be able to get it but like just i feel like there's still at least a little opportunity and it's funny too because like just like with the tuskegee stuff yeah people assume that was the distant distant past right we're talking about things that ended in the 60s 70s Things that people who train people like me were alive for. Right. And very much like practicing at the time. So it is it is so important to discuss. I think this is a, such a good such a good topic. And I'm so happy that you did it. So I've learned so much from this. Yeah. No, thank you for being the guest. You were you were I knew I was like I had the, I've I've been wanting to do this for a while, ever since I yeah. found this book. Um, because I was blown away by the story of it and yeah, I was yeah. like saved it for when I had my when I had my doctor guest. Um, that's me. So, <laughs> But yeah. yeah and that's then, cool. Very cool. Very cool. So the just to shout it out, Kevin Hazard wrote a really good book called American Sirens. I, I did pull from some other sources, but honestly, not as many as I sometimes do because uh, he, he covers context better than most people, most authors I've read. Context. And it turns out American Sirens is not about women in the ocean luring sailors to their death. So a little bit of a, a disappointment book. there. But- you you are a writer. Yeah, that's true. And 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 uh, titles aren't copyrightable. <laughs> oh, yeah, God. totally. Or you could you could make like sirens with a Z at the end. Yeah, yeah, totally. That'll be a totally yeah. good thing to do to an author I respect. <laughs> but speaking of uh, podcasters, I respect. We're oh, here at the you. end. Do you want to plug anything? Uh, I would like people to uh, listen to my podcast. Go and do that anywhere you get your podcast. It is called The House of Pod. You will hear all the people from the Cool Zone Media World, the universe, the CZMU. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, and they'll all be there, um, including Margaret, if she is willing to, to come on. And um, it's going to cover a lot of similar stuff. We're going to talk about uh, inequality. We're going to talk about equity issues in medicine. We're going to cover some random stuff too, like 
were the Spartans really as cool as everyone makes them out to be? Answer is no. <laughs> um, so we're kind of all over the place, but I think you'll enjoy it. Give it a shot. There's something in there you're going to like. Um, and uh, and thank you so much for having me on. This is super fun. I feel like I, I won some sort of contest to, to get on the show. <laughs> so super cool. Yeah, well, you know, there was the the golden tickets and then everyone else died horribly. That's right. Um, Accidentally, I had nothing to do no. with it, Margaret. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting thing about uh, working in the medical field and <laughs> ability to understand forensics. Totally unrelated. Well, uh, if you want to know more about, I also have a podcast called Cool Zone Media Book Club every Sunday where I read fiction. And it is on this very feed, as well as the feed of It Could Happen Here. And you probably already know this, because if you listen to this, you probably subscribe. I mean, if you don't, I don't know what you're doing with your life. And so every Sunday, you get a notification about me reading you a new story. And uh, what do you got to shout out, Sophie? Just follow at Cool Zone Media on social media if you do use social media still, because we have a lot of upcoming projects that we're releasing this year that you should look out for. There's a lot of good stuff. There's a new Jamie Loftus going to drop. Nice. Pretty excited. There is. We're really, 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 really excited about that one. I've been finally Um, listening to Raw Dog on audiobook. Yeah. It's so good. It's so fun. Yeah. It's so fun. Yeah. That's the book about hot dogs? Yeah. That's Jamie's Jamie's book about hot dogs. And it is about way more than hot dogs. It is so good. Yeah, that's secretly about like labor and, you know, health health rights and just really cool. But also just like entertainingly written and about the way that people interact with each other. But just it's great. Yeah. Yeah. But hot dogs are in it, correct? Yes. Correct. There's enough hot dogs that I, as a vegan, I was partly, that was partly why I kept putting it off and, you know, and then, um, but- Several points throughout it. Jamie is like, vegans, you're right and I'm wrong. Anyway, let me talk more about me. And so I'm like, I feel seen. Well, I'll also tell you as a gastroenterologist, uh-huh. you know, when I hear hot dog, the first thing I think about is somebody who went to like a barbecue or cookout, was in the hot sun, not hydrating mm-hmm. well, ate a lot of hot dogs and they got stuck in their throat. And I'm oh coming God. into the hospital like three in the morning to try and dislodge that. That's a... That's the, the the thing that pops in my head when I hear hot dogs first, even above how delicious they are. That's they are am- delicious. Amazing. That, yeah, man, I have a weird job. My job is so much game. easier than your job. <laughs> in some ways, yeah. But it's kind of fun. I get to do some fun stuff. Yeah. No, I, I, the people who I just described in this episode are fucking heroes, and I, I am very grateful for people who do that work. All right. Yeah. We'll see everyone next Monday. Bye. 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 Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. 
Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.